welcome to Thriving Educators. I am Brian Langley. Today's episode is part five of a 12-episode series taking a closer look at Jerry Brophy's classic little booklet, Teaching. This particular chapter focuses on the importance of coherent content, and I have Megan Happala, Jenna Engel, and Karen Mendoza here to share their expertise. Megan is an ELD teacher, Jenna, a third grade teacher, and Karen, a fourth grade teacher. So enjoy. Okay, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about coherent content. This is chapter five of Jerry Brophy's little booklet called Teaching. And I have three guests today. The first is Megan Hoppala. Hi. An ELD teacher. And uh, Jenna Engel. Hello. A third grade teacher. And Karen Mendoza. Hi. Thank you for having us. Mm-hmm. The fourth grade teacher. Okay, great. So underneath the title for this particular chapter, it says, um, well, it says coherent content to facilitate meaningful learning and retention. Content is explained clearly and developed with emphasis on its structure and connections. And so, again, this chapter is only two pages long. But as I read it, it's like every line in it is so important. So I'm curious, as the three of you read it, like, was did anything in particular stand out? And we'll start with Megan. All right. Thanks, Brian. Um, this was a short chapter, and there are multiple lines that stood out to me. But one that spoke to me as an ELD teacher was a phrase towards the end that said, that they're talking about the teacher, the teacher avoids vague and ambiguous language and, digress- and digressions that disrupt continuity. And this stood out to me because it reminded me a lot about the thing I need to focus on as an ELD teacher as my students are learning a second language. Um, so like to make sure I focus specifically on the lesson and only say what needs to be said. This is so important for the students learning a new language because if you're being vague or you digress on a different subject, the ELD students might have a hard time trying to make connections to the English words as they're trying to puzzle together the important vocabulary they do recognize. I can imagine where that would be a pitfall if right in the middle of something, something comes across your head as the instructor, you start to go off into that area, and now a student who is struggling with the language is really confused. And so, but even if, even if it, it's a, it, it becomes a point, though, for students that aren't even ELD. Like, we do need to be careful as instructors about our digressions. Um, make sure that they're worth it, I guess, if you're going to take it. Okay, thanks. So, Jenna, what about you? So the very first sentence is what stood out to me the most. Um, It said that research indicates that networks of connected knowledge structured around powerful ideas can be learned with understanding and retained in forms that make them accessible for application. That was a a lot of words. Mm -hmm. And so... What does that mean? There's a a phrase from that where it said networks of connected knowledge Mm -hmm. and then structured around powerful ideas. That really stood out to me right from the beginning of the chapter, Um, not only because it was in the section that said, here's the research findings, Mm -hmm. but also because 
I kept thinking about these networks of connected knowledge. And we know that students learn more deeply when they're able to make connections to their prior learning mm -hmm. or to their own lives or to other content areas. And this really reminded me of the concept of backward design or project-based learning, where we organize our, organize our students' learning around um, the enduring understandings or essential questions so we can really focus on what our students should know and be able to do, and that students are more likely then to transfer or apply the skills mm -hmm. they learn when it is embedded in meaningful learning. So that point stuck out to me too in this chapter, and it reminded me of a previous chapter on curricular alignment and um, some of the points that um, we've discussed in previous podcasts. The thing is, learning just doesn't work that well if it's not connected. And so the idea that the, the knowledge that we want our students to have um, needs to be connected to other things that they know about to a greater context, it just makes sense. And when you think about that word, that the title of the chapter, coherent, like in order for it to be coherent, these, it needs to be like pieces that fit together. Jenna, is that kind of what stood out to you? Yeah, it makes me think about how when you're <clears throat> planning for your teaching that you're really thinking about those learning goals and, and where you want students to be, but you really need to know what they already know. So connecting to that previous knowledge and finding a way to make sure that it flows into um, the next content that you're talking about. So they're making um, not only the connections, but pulling into those um, activities that tie into their background knowledge mm -hmm. or even connections to their home lives, that mm -hmm. it really makes sense to them. That makes sense. Okay, Karen, as you read this chapter number five, uh, what things stood out to you? I was really drawn to the in the classroom section. I felt like I made a ton of connections to my own teaching. Okay. So one area that stood out was when they said, when making presentations, providing explanations, or giving demonstrations, effective teachers project enthusiasm for the content and organize and sequence it so as to maximize its clarity and coherence. Mm-hmm. So I think just always being excited about what you're doing um, really goes a long way, um, especially connecting it to, again, the two big ideas that I really took away from this is organizing that content and making the connections. Mm -hmm. um, and I told my students the other day, I'm like, I love the springtime because this is the time of year where it's like we're making connection after connection. So just me being excited about what I'm doing, um, I think is one start to many other things that they suggest that teachers should be doing. So I'm curious, Karen, as you read that, do you consider yourself to be a generally enthusiastic teacher about your content? Or is that something that you try to be deliberate in, like reminding yourself to be that way? How, do, how does that play out for you? I mean, I think it really varies based okay. on the content that I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. I usually try to make everything exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, but like over my career, things have changed. Like I used to not enjoy teaching poetry, but then I really challenged myself to dig into it. Mm -hmm. And now I love it. And I tell my students that too. Nice. Yeah. Because as I read it, I am generally excited about what I teach. And it, there's lots of things that like I, I get excited about. And so I can see that in my teaching. And I think that's a e really easy one for me. And I know that some teachers, it just isn't. There, it just doesn't work that way. And so I'm curious if 
you know, if people can think about it and they can get behind it a little bit more, say, I do, that does work. So um, I can turn that notch up a little bit. Okay, thanks. So let's talk about what this looks like in your classrooms then. So we'll go back and start with Megan. So Megan, when you think about this chapter and coherent content, what does it look like in the classroom? So in my classroom, to make uh, content coherent, I just try to be very intentional when planning my lessons and the overall units. I kind of do a fusion of um, some backwards planning combined with just ELA standards from each grade level and um, the WIDA can-do descriptors. Okay. So I kind of combine all of those, thinking about what I want my students to know by the end of the unit, and then I design the steps to get there. Um, since I'm working with students that are learning a new language, there's lots of time spent on vocabulary. We practice it with reading, writing, speaking, and listening, and we try to connect them to the lessons and to the real world. I try to include picture representation, and if possible, use TPR, total physical response, which is like a physical movement, to help students make a deeper connection to the word. That makes sense, yeah. And Jenna, what about you? I'm also, like Megan said, I'm very intentional in my planning. Um, I'm more of a, a big picture planner at first. So I'll look at the big ideas related to standards and then sequence how to get there along with ways I can integrate other content areas, making those connected ideas put together. Um, I make sure that I'm connecting to their prior knowledge and then baby stepping through the new learning to get to where we're going. So I, I look at, I've had the, the privilege of teaching multiple grades in elementary, so I like to make a lot of connections to when you were in second grade, we talked about it this way. Now in third grade, here's how we're going to do this, and then I connect to what it might look like in fourth grade, mm -hmm. so really putting that learning in context with the bigger picture even in their educational experience. Um, more specifically, this looks like <clears throat> making sure that I'm providing students with an end goal, um, specific learning targets that support them toward that goal. How about an example? <laughs> so in, in our third grade classroom, we have a project that I call our Made in Michigan project. Okay. Um, and this integrates concepts of economics, Michigan's resources. It's very Michigan specific in our um, social studies curriculum for third grade and also persuasive writing. So that looks like students creating a product based on using Michigan's natural resources. So this year I had a student make um, pine cone race cars where he spray painted pine cones to make them look like race, co race cars, but the pine cone was the natural resource. And then they plan for how to market and sell the product using persuasive writing. So I'm trying to find all the ways the different content areas connect together okay. and um, tie it into what's coming next in each unit. Okay, great. And Karen, how about you? How does this look in your classroom? Well, I feel like I have connections to both of what they said. Great. And um, one thing I really think about in my classroom is um, kind of like Jenna said, the cross-curricular examples. So thinking about, you know, um, all the connections that we can make, whether it's with science and social studies, for example, we talk about forces in science with mm -hmm. pushes and pulls, but then we also talk about in social studies about human geography, and we talk about push factors of why people moved from okay. an area and pull factors what um, maybe encourage them to come to a new place. Interesting. Um, and then I also think about you know our shared experiences from this year and connecting to what we've already learned in fourth grade mm -hmm. 
Um, so for example, today I was teaching a lesson on capacity with gallons, quarts, pints, things like that. And before I even got to it, we were talking about how many quarts are in a gallon. A student raised their hand and they said, well, I know quad, quart. Mm. I know that that means four because we had previously talked about um, that in quadrilaterals. And I really stress um, kind of knowing vocabulary. We have a huge English um, language learner population. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really trying to focus on for all students that that's something good that we can do is um, focusing in on from like iReady results. How can we build that vocabulary all around? Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to hear about this a little bit more because I know that you have iReady, which is a is a testing program, not necessarily a curriculum, correct? Right. But we we get data from it. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have, we do have a science curriculum that we use, the FOSS uh, science kits. Um, I don't know what it necessarily looks like in social studies, but are these connections then that every teacher has to like think of and realize and recognize and notice or is there something in place that already um, helps elementary teachers, I think we're all elementary teachers here besides me, um, make those connections? We have our um, Atlas units that we're using currently, and we have resources for social studies. We have our FOSS curriculum. So we do have resources. Um, The way it's aligned currently is um, through separate units. So there are reading units, there are mm-hmm. writing units, there are social studies units, there are science units, and um, they somewhat align mm-hmm. as written. Um, but in order to pull in the content areas, it's it's that idea that there's never enough time to teach all of these mm-hmm. units. And so looking for ways to integrate. I know a lot of teachers choose to pull the science or the social studies into our reading and our writing mm-hmm. lessons. Right. And so I can see, like, from a from somebody that teaches high school physics, um, I see I see high school physics and uh, connections to what they might be learning in social studies or what they might be learning in English class. Or at the high school, it'd be very different than at the elementary level when uh, a teacher might have the students for every class of the day or for half of the day or something like that. Um, but it does seem like as I listen to this and as I listen to you guys bring up examples that the experience of being a teacher, um, you, you figure out where some of these connections are and then you help bring those in for the students. And then we should be tracking this so that, you know, newer teachers and whatever can have that, can, can learn off of our experience. But yeah. Yeah, I know at our school, we, um, our team, our fourth grade team, we collaborate a lot. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when we're having a PLC, we might look at our data and think about, you know, where can we plan in this or where can we make these connections? And so, you know, having that time to collaborate with the teams really is um, valuable. Yeah, that does sound like that would be a very important time. All right, so Megan, I am curious how has your approach to this area changed over the course of your career? I feel like my approach is constantly changing mm-hmm. as I just learn and reflect on my teaching practices. But as a younger teacher, like a decade ago, a misconception I used to have was to make the content comprehensible, I had to keep talking at the students okay. and like having very long teacher-led lessons. But as I grew in this field, I realized 
it's more just in being more intentional about what you are saying and mm -hmm. keeping your lessons very concise and allowing the students more time to interact with the materials and their peers um, and have more think time to really be able to process the information. It's, it shouldn't be me just talking at the students right. to make it comprehensible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jenna? So this is, I'm finishing my 16th year mm -hmm. of teaching right now. And as I mentioned, I've been across several grade levels, all in elementary. Um, so I've, I've always been this big picture thinker when I look at the curriculum and, and what I'm expected to teach. But the actual execution of that in the classroom has really evolved. Okay. Um, when I was first starting teaching, I would focus more on really just covering what was in the curriculum. I wanted to make sure that I was teaching everything that I was supposed to teach. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was I began to realize that I just couldn't do it. It was there is so much. Um, it started to feel overwhelming. I felt like I was rushing through certain things in order to keep moving or to stay on pace. And I felt like my teaching was really disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, and I was relying more on some quick strategies, like maybe it was memorizing facts or vocabulary. And it just seemed like students weren't really retaining. So I, I did a lot of reflecting and thinking through, um, how, can I, how can I make more or better use of my time? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about how can I integrate the content areas? How can I pull more into one you know one big unit and that's when i started learning more about the backwards planning or project-based learning and really tying that into the standards and that led me to even organizing the structure of my day differently okay. so it's not necessarily this is our reading time this is our writing time this is our math time but it might be that today our reading and writing time is all one big chunk and we pull in our social studies content and we do it all together um, so i would give them more time to make those connections and to learn a little bit more in depth. But I definitely didn't start off doing it that way. It's mm -hmm. taken me several years. Being able to teach the same grade level over again many times has helped too. So I eventually, I eventually found that students were much more excited in their learning. Um, I was more enthusiastic. Like Karen mentioned, I was much more enthusiastic when I'm like, we're, we're working toward this end goal together. And I found that parents were more appreciative. They loved having some of those plans, those calendars, those graphic organizers. I right. would share those with parents. <clears throat> and so it just made learning start to feel more authentic and um, meaningful for my students. And I, I found it more fun to plan. And that's another thing that Brophy does talk about is the retreat from breadth of coverage in order to allow time to develop the most important content in greater depth. So, and that's something that seems like it's come up in other chapters of this booklet as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks, Jenna. Karen, what about you? How, how, have, how has your approach in this area changed over the course of your career? You know, I think just with experience, um, at first you're just trying to learn the curriculum. And then once you have a good handle on the curriculum, I think that then that's when you can have um, a little more fun to like, explore and try different things. Mm -hmm. um, I think over the years I've used, I always try to find a nugget from each training that I have and think like, how can I apply that to my teaching today? Mm -hmm. So whether there was a part he talked about like um, using gestures and other oral com communication skills, like we did a training one time where we talked about silent signals that students can use to like agree and disagree. Okay. Um, or 
like I did some PBL training too and realizing it's not just about like what is called a dessert project at the end, but like really trying to have like something that's meaningful and authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so over the years, I feel like just trying to integrate that in my daily teaching for my students. Okay. Megan, Jenna, Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was fun. It really was. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up another episode of Thriving Educators. I want to thank Megan Happala, Jenna Engel, and Karen Mendoza for sharing their expertise with me today. Take care, everyone. <laughs>